0: Chapter Twenty Four of The Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barbara Dirksen. The Frozen Pirate by W. Clark Russell. Chapter Twenty Four The Frenchman Dies however if i expected my frenchman to sit very long silent he soon undeceived me by beginning to complain in his tremulous aged voice of his weakness and aching limbs tis the terrible cold that has affected me said he whilst his head nodded nervously i feel the rheumatism in every bone there is no weakness like the rheumatic i have heard and tis true tis true it may lay me along yes by the virgin tis rheumatism what else here he was interrupted by a long fit of coughing and when it was ended he turned to address me again but looked at the bulkhead on my right as if his vision could not fix me but my capers are not over he cried setting up his rickety shrill throat no no vive l'amour vive la joie the sun is coming the sun is the fountain of life eh mon brave there are some shakes in these stout legs yet he shook his head with a fine air of cunning and knowingness grinning very oddly and then falling grave with startling suddenness he began to dribble out a piratical love-story he had once before favoured with me describing the charms of the women with a horrid leer his head nodding with the nervous affection of age all the time whilst he looked blind me in my direction a hideous and yet pitiful object i could not say that his mind was gone But he talked with many breaks for breath, and not very coherently, as though the office of his tongue was performed by habit rather than memory, so that he often went far astray and babbled into sentences that had no reference to what had gone before, though on the whole I managed to collect what he meant. I was sure he had not power enough of vision to observe me in the dim reddish light of the cook-room, and this being so, he could not know I was present. More particularly, as he could not hear me, yet he persisted in his poor babble, which was a behavior in him that, more than any matter of his speech, persuaded me of his imbecility. He made no reference to our situation, and in solemn truth, I believe his memory retained no more than a few odds and ends of the evil story of his life like bits of tarnished lace and a rusty button or two lying in the bottom of a dark chest that has long been emptied of the clothes it once held. But my condition made such heavy demands upon my thoughts that I had very much less attention to give to this surprising phenomenon of senility than its uncommon merits deserved. It has puzzled every member of the faculty that I have mentioned it to, The supposition being that given the case of suspended animation there is no waste and the person would quit his stupor with the same powers and aspect as he possessed when he entered it though it lasted a thousand years but granting there is no waste time is always present waiting to settle accounts when the sleeper lifts his head there may be an artificial interval during which the victim might show as my pirate did, but the poised load of years is severed on a sudden by the scythe and becomes superincumbent, and with the weight comes the transformation, and this theory, as the only eye witness of the marvellous thing, I will hold and maintain whilst I have a breath in my body to support it. I left him gabbling to himself, sometimes grinning as if greatly diverted sometimes lifting a trembling hand to help his ghostly recital by an equally ghostly dumb-show and when on deck satisfied that he was too weak to get to the fire and meddle with it but sufficiently invigorated by his long night's rest to sit up without tumbling off the bench this time i carried with me an old perspective glass i had noticed in the chest in my cabin the chest in which were the nautical instruments charts and papers and levelled it along the coast of the island but it was a poor glass and i found i could manage nearly as well with the naked eye there was no change of any kind only that there was a sensible diminution in the blowing of the wind and a corresponding decrease in the height of the seas The ice stretched in a considerable bed on either hand, the ship and ahead of her. The water frothed freely over it, and there was a great jangling and flashing of broken pieces, but the hull was no longer heavily hit by them. I got into the main chains to view the body of the vessel, and noticed with satisfaction that the constant pouring of the sea had thinned down the frozen snow to the depth of at least a foot this encouraged me to hope that the restless tides would sap to her keel at least and put her into a posture to be easily launched by the blow of a surge upon her bows that is if fortune continued to keep her head on but by this time my transports having moderated i was grown fully sensible of the extreme peril of our position should the sea rise and the ice bring her broadside to it it was inevitable it seemed to me that she must go to pieces or if the ice on which she floated fouled some other berg it might cost us all our spars then again occurred the dismal question suppose she should launch herself would she float for eight and forty years she had been high and dry never a cocker's hammer had rung upon her in all that time Tassard had spoken of her as a stout ship, and so she was, I did not doubt. But the old rogue talked as if she had been stranded six months only. I had no other hope than that the intense cold had treated her timbers as it had treated the bodies of her people, an expectation not unreasonable when I considered the state of her stores and the manifest substantiality of her inward fabric. I regained the deck and stepped over to the pumps. There were two of them but built up in snow. My business was to save my life if I could, and the schooner too, for the sake of the great treasure in her. Nothing must disconcert me, I said to myself. I must spare no labor but act a hardy sailor's part and ask for God's countenance. So I trotted below and selecting some weapons from the arms room, such as a tomahawk, A spade headed spear, a pike, and a chopper, I returned to the pumps and fell upon them with a will. The ice flew about me, but I continued to smite, the exercise making me hot and renewing my spirits. And in an hour, but it took me an hour, I had chopped, hacked, and beaten one of the pumps pretty clear of its thick crystal coat. They were what is called brake pumps, that is to say, pumps which are worked by handles the ice of course held them immovable but they looked to be perfectly sound in good working order though there would be neither chance nor need to test them until the schooner went afloat i cleared the other one and was well satisfied with my morning's work but i did bitterly lament the lack of a little crew even the frenchman as he was yesterday would have served my turn for between us we might have made shift to clamber aloft and with hatchets break the sails free of their ice bonds, and so expose canvas enough to hold the wind, which could not have failed to impart a swifter motion to the berg. But with my single pair of hands, I could only look up idly at the yards and gaffs standing hard as granite. Still, even such surface as the spars and rigging offered to the breeze helped our progress. We were but a very little berg, nay not a berg but rather a sheet of ice lying indifferently flat upon the sea and as i believe without much depth our spars and gear were as if the ice itself were rigged as a ship and then there was the height of the hull besides to offer the breeze a tolerable resistance for its offices of propulsion in this way i explain our progress but whatever the cause certain it was that our bed of ice was fairly under way and at noon the island of ice bore at least half a league distant from us and we had opened the sea broadly past its northern cape i have often diverted myself with wondering what sort of impression the posture of our schooner would have made on the minds of sailors sighting us from their deck we looked to be floating out of water, and mariners who regard the devil as a conjurer must have accepted us as one of his pet inventions. The many icebergs which encumbered the sea filled me with anxiety. We were travelling faster than they, and it seemed impossible that we could miss striking one or another of them. Yet, perilous as they were, I could not but admire their beautiful appearance as they floated upon the dark blue of the running waters flashing out very gloriously to the sun with a sparkling of tints upon their whiteness as if fires of twenty different colours had been kindled upon their craggy steeps and then fading into a sulky watchet to the dull violet shadowing of the passing clouds i particularly marked a very brilliant scene on the opening of five or six of them to the sunshine they lay in such wise that the shadow of the cloud covered them all as if with a veil the skirts of which trailing left them to leap one after the other into the noontide dazzle and as each one shot from the shadow the flash was like a volcanic spouting of white flame "'enriched with the prismatic dyes of emeralds, rubies, sapphires, and gems of lovely hue. "'To determine the hour and our position, I fetched a quadrant from my cabin, "'and was happily just in time to catch the sun crossing the meridian. "'My watch was half an hour fast, so I had been out of my reckoning "'to the extent of thirty minutes ever since I had been cast away.' I made our latitude to be sixty-four degrees, twenty-eight minutes south, and the computation was perhaps near enough. This business ended. I went to the cookhouse to prepare dinner, and the first object I saw was tassard flat upon his face near the door that opened into the cabin. He groaned when I picked him up, which I managed without much exertion of strength for so much had he shrunk that I dare say more than half his weight lay in his clothes, and set him upon his bench with his back to the dresser. I put my mouth to his ear and roared, Are you hurt? His head nodded as if he understood me, but I question if he did. He was the completest picture of old age that you could imagine. I fetched a couple of spears from the arms room, and cutting them to his height, put one in each hand that he might keep himself propped. And whilst my own dinner was broiling, I made him a mess of broth with which I fed him, for now that he had the sticks, he would not let go of them. But in any case, I doubt if his trembling hand could have lifted the spoon to his lips without capsizing the contents down his beard with some small idea of rallying the old villain i mixed him a very stiff bumper of brandy which he supped down out of my hand with the utmost avidity the draught soon worked in him and he began to move his head about seeking me in his blind way and then cried in his broken notes i have lost the use of my legs and cannot walk mother of god what shall i do O holy St. Antonio, what is to become of me? I guessed from this, that impelled by habit or some small spur of reason, he had risen to go on deck and fallen. He went on, vaporing pitifully, gazing with sufficient steadfastness to let me understand that his vision received something of my outline, though he would fix his eyes either to left or right of me, as though he was not able to see if he looked straight and this and his mournful cackle and his nodding head bowed form propped hands and diminished face made him as distressful and melancholy a picture of time as ever mortal man viewed he broke off in his rambling to ask for more brandy taking it for granted that i was still in the cook-room for i never spoke and i filled the can for him and as before held it to his mouth which he opened wide a piece of behaviour which went to show that some of his wits still hung loose upon him this was a strong dose and cooperating with the other soon seized hold on his head and presently he began to laugh to himself and talk and even broke into a stave or two some french song which he delivered in a voice like the squeaking of a rat alternating with the growling of a terrier i guess his stumbling upon this old french catch which i took it to be from seeing him feebly flourish one of his sticks as if inviting a chorus put him upon speaking his own tongue altogether for though he continued to chatter with all the volubility his breath would permit during the whole time i sat eating not one word of english did he speak and not one word thereafter did i understand seeing how it must be with him presently i brought his mattress and rugs from his cabin and had scarce laid them down when he let fall one of his sticks and drooped over i grasped him and partly lifting partly hauling got him on his back and covered him up in a few minutes he was asleep I trust I shall not be deemed inhuman if I confess that I heartily wished his end would come. If he went on living, he promised to be an intolerable burden to me, being quite helpless. Besides, he was much too old for this world, in which a man who reaches the age of ninety is pointed to as a sort of wonder. As there was nothing to be done on deck, I filled my pipe and made myself comfortable before the furnace and was speedily sunk in meditation i reviewed all the circumstances of my case and considered my chances and the nimble heels of imagination carrying me home with this schooner i asked myself suppose i should have the good fortune to convey the treasure in safety to england how was i to secure it let me imagine myself arrived in the thames The whole world stares at the strange antique craft sailing up the river. She would be boarded and rummaged by the customs people, who of course would light upon the treasure. What then? I knew nothing of the law, but I reckoned, since I should have to tell the truth, that the money, ore, and jewelry would be claimed as stolen property, and I dismissed with a small reward for bringing it home. There was folly in such contemplation at such a time, when perhaps at this hour to-morrow the chests might be at the bottom of the sea, and myself a drowned sailor floating three hundred fathoms deep. But man is a froward child who builds mansions out of dreams, and jockeyed by hope sets out at a gallop along the visionary road to his desires." and my mind was so much taken up with considering how i should manage when i brought the treasure home that i spent a couple of hours in a conflict of schemes during which time it never once occurred to me to reflect that i was a good way from home still and that much must happen before i need give myself the least concern as to the securing of the treasure nothing worth recording happened that day The wind slackened, and the ice travelled so slow, that at sundown I could not discover that we had made more than a quarter of a mile of progress to the north since noon, though we had settled by half as much again that distance westwards. Whilst I was below, I could hear the ice crackling pretty briskly round about the ship, which gave me some comfort, but I could never see any change of consequence when I looked over the side or bows only that at about four o'clock whilst i was taking a view from the forecastle a large block broke away from beyond the starboard bow with the report of a swivel gun i had not closed my eyes on the previous night and was tired out when the evening arrived and as no good could come of my keeping a watch for the simple reason that it was not in my power to avert anything that might happen I tumbled some further covering over the Frenchman, who had lain on the deck all the afternoon, sometimes dozing, sometimes waking and talking to himself, and appearing on the whole very easy and comfortable, and went to my cabin. I slept sound the whole night through, and on waking went on deck before going to the cookhouse and lighting the furnace, as was my custom so impatient was i to observe our state and to hear such news as the ocean had for me it was a very curious day somewhat darksome and a dead calm with a large long swell out of the southeast the sky was full of clouds with a stooping appearance in the hang of them that reminded you of the belly of a hammock they were of a sallow brown very uncommon some of them round about sipped the sea-line and their shadows obliterating those parts of the cincture which they overhung broke the continuity of the horizon as though there were valleys in the ocean there a good part of our bed of ice was gone at least a fourth of it but the schooner still lay as strongly fixed as before I had come to the deck half expecting to find her afloat from the regular manner of her heaving, and was bitterly disappointed to discover her rooted as strongly as ever in the ice, though the irritation softened when I noticed how the bed had diminished. The mass with the ship upon it rose and sank with the sluggish squatting motion of a water-logged vessel— it was an odd sensation to my legs after their long rest from such exercise the heaving satisfied me that the base of the bed did not go deep but at the same time it was all too solid for me i could not doubt for had the sheet been as thin as i had hoped it it must have given under the weight of the schooner and released her the island lay a league distant on the larboard beam and looked a wondrous vast field of ice going into the south and it stared very ghastly upon the dark green sea out of the clouds whose gloom sank behind it i could not observe that we had drifted anything to the north whilst our set to the westward had been steady though snail-like the sea in the north and northwest swarmed with bergs like great snowdrops on the green undulating fields of the deep now and again the swell in which fragments of ice floated with the gleam of crystal in liquid glass would be too quick for our dull rise and overflow the bed brimming to the channels with much noise of foam and pouring waters but the interposition of the ice took half its weight out of it and it never did more than send a tremble through the vessel. What to make of the weather, I knew not. Certainly, all of the caprices of this huge cold sea, its calms are the shortest-lived. But this knowledge helped me to no other. The clouds did not stir. In the northeast, a beam of sunshine stood like a golden water spout, its foot in a little flood of glory. It stayed all the while I was on deck showing that the clouds had scarce any motion and made the picture of the sea that way beyond nature to my sight by the contrast of the defined shaft of gold burning purely with the dusk of the clouds all about and of the pool of dazzle at its foot with the ugly green of the water that melted into it i went below and got about lighting the fire the frenchman lay very quiet under as many clothes as would fill a half-dozen of sacks it was bitterly cold sharper in the cook-house than i had ever remembered it and i could not conceive why this should be until i recollected that i had forgotten to close the companion-hatch before going to bed i prepared some broth for my companion and dressed some ham for myself and ate my breakfast supposing he would meanwhile awake but after sitting some time and observing that he did not stir a suspicion flashed into my mind i kneeled down and clearing his face listened he did not breathe i brought the lanthorn to him but his countenance had been so changed by his unparalleled emergence from a state of middle life into extreme old age he was so puckered hollowed gaunt his features so distorted by the great weight of his years that i was not to know him dead by merely viewing him i threw the clothes off him listened at his mouth breathlessly felt his hands which were ice cold dead indeed thought i great father tis thy will and i rose very slowly and stood surveying the silent figure with an emotion that owed its inspiration partly to the several miracles of vitality i had beheld in him during our association and to a bitter feeling of loneliness that swelled up in me yes i had feared and detested this man but his quick transformation and silent dark exit affected me and I looked down upon him sadly. Yet to be perfectly candid with you, I recollect that though it occurred to me to test if life was out of him by bringing him close to the fire and chafing him and giving him brandy, I would not stir. No, I would not have moved a finger to recover him, even though I should have been able to do so by merely putting him to the furnace. He was dead, and there was an end and without further ado i carried him into the forecastle and threw a hammock over him and left him to lie there till there should come clear water to the ship to serve him for a grave end of chapter 24 recording by barbara dirksen